and let's go to Leviticus chapter 6. What we'll do is read as much as we can with some comments here and there, but we want to get acquainted to this because there is repetition, there is further explanation of the sacrifices, and then we go to the duties of the priest to get an acquaintance with the word, and then the Lord can build on that. Subsequently, when we read again, go over it again, or cross-reference it later. Leviticus chapter 6, this chapter has 30 verses, so two people can read. Let's hear the word of God from Leviticus chapter 6, verses 1 to 15, and then someone else from 16 to 30, please. Praise the Lord. Leviticus 6, 1 to 15. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or about a pledge, or about a robbery, or if he has extorted from his neighbor, or if he has found what was lost and lies concerning it, and swears falsely, and any of these things that a man may do in which he sins, then it shall be, because he has sinned and is guilty, that he shall restore what he has stolen, or the thing which he has extorted, or what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or the lost thing which he has found, or all that about which he has sworn falsely. He shall restore its full value, add one-fifth more to it, and give it to whomever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, a ram without blemish from the flock with your valuation as a trespass offering to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any one of these things that he may have done in which he trespasses. The law of the burnt offering... Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth upon the altar all night until morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen trousers. He shall put on his he shall put on his body and take up the ashes of the burnt offering which the fire has consumed on the altar and he shall put them beside the altar then he shall take off his garments put on other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place and the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it it shall not be put out and the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order on it, and he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offering. A a fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. This is the law of the grain offering. 
the sons of Aaron shall offer it on the altar before the Lord. He shall take from it his handful of the fine flour of the grain offering with its oil and all the frankincense which is on the grain offering and shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma as a memorial to the Lord. Thank the Lord. Praise the Lord. And the remainder of it Aaron and his sons shall eat. With unleavened bread it shall be eaten in a holy place. In the court of the tabernacle of meeting they shall eat it. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their portion of my offerings made by fire. It is most holy like the sin offering and the trespass offering. All the males among the children of Aaron may eat it. It shall be a statute forever in your generations concerning the offerings made by fire to the Lord. Everyone who touches them must be holy. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, This is the offering of Aaron and his sons which they shall offer to the Lord, beginning on the day when he is anointed, one-tenth of the ephah of fine flour as a daily grain offering, half of it in the morning and half of it at night. It shall be made in a pan with oil. When it is mixed, you shall bring it in. The baked pieces of the grain offering you shall offer for a sweet aroma to the Lord. The priest from among his sons who is anointed in his place shall offer it. It is a statute forever to the Lord. It shall be wholly burned. For every grain offering for the priest shall be wholly burned. It shall not be eaten. The Law of the Sin Offering Also the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, This is the Law of the Sin Offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, the sin offering shall be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. In a holy place it shall be eaten, in the court of the tabernacle of meeting. Everyone who touches its flesh must be holy. And when its blood is sprinkled on any garment, you shall wash that on which it was sprinkled, in a holy place. But the earthen vessel in which it is boiled shall be broken. And if it is boiled in a bronze pot, it shall be scoured and rinsed in water. All the males among the priests may eat it. It is most holy. But no sin offering from which any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of meeting to make atonement in the holy place shall be eaten. It shall be burned in the fire. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 
We see different laws, again, concerning the sacrifices, concerning intentional sins as well as unintentional sins in the previous chapters. God making a provision for everyone. In the beginning of Leviticus 5, which we read the other day, it says, if you are called to testify about something you have seen or that you know about, it is sinful to refuse to testify and you will be punished for your sin. Then it talks about sins of ignorance, ceremonial uncleanness. And then today, as we began Leviticus 6, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Suppose one of you sins against your associate and is unfaithful to the Lord. Suppose you cheat in a deal involving, involving a security deposit, or you steal or commit fraud, or you find lost property and lie about it, or you lie while swearing to tell the truth, and you commit any other such sin. God's really getting at their heart. And he talks about extortion also, that they must give back what they have stolen, taken by force, or the lost property that they swore about falsely. They're to give a fifth or 20% additional to the person that's been harmed. So in the New Testament, we see that it says very, uh, in a general sense, let him that stole steal no more, but let him rather labor or work with his hands that he may have to give to him that needs or hath need. We see that God is concerned from the beginning to the end of the Bible for all humanity about something called justice. And that he says he's a merciful God, but he will by no means clear the guilty. We read that in Exodus. In other words, people who presumptuously violate God's law and they think they can get away with it and they continue to hurt, they'll certainly be punished. But there are provisions made for those who are sincerely repentant. Sometimes the statement is given or made in the Bible, God speaking to Moses, that people will be punished. There's no escape. Other times, even some of the most blatant sins, God shows mercy, such as in the case centuries later of King David. There are cities of refuge that people who unintentionally kill someone, they can flee there. So you see a complete justice system that God has been erecting for the Israelites to show them these are the pillars, these are the laws, these are the statutes, this is the penal code. And we'll see later on the priests also were called to be ad hoc physicians. They'd be able to pronounce someone clean or unclean based upon observation according to God's specific commandments as to whether one is diseased and that disease is communicable, whether that appearance of a scab or some lesion on the surface of the skin was going to be something of grave concern or not. 
and God giving them medical counsel quite directly that if it's a certain color you do this if it's raised you do this and the do this or do that comes down to two categories either clean or unclean either you can stay in the camp or you have to be put outside of the camp we see um, an inquiry from each person who reads the word saying what does this mean what are the parameters here what by what basis does God judge someone clean or unclean beyond the stipulations laid out for the priest to observe observe and then go by the specifications that God has laid out in other words what actually is ethically or morally or spiritually right for much of these things people can conjecture, they can hypothesize, they can talk about it in medical terms with the knowledge we have today that there's a lot of wisdom behind what God did. I mean, everything He does is wise. But there are certain things that we may not fully understand, as I've mentioned before on several occasions. We come to the scriptures with one attitude. The wisest person would always come to the scriptures knowing this is not man's word, it's God's word and it's God's communication, and it's coming from one who is absolutely perfect. So any problem that we may have with it in understanding, we need to come humbly to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't understand. But I know one thing, with you, all understanding resides, all wisdom. Some things seem to be very easy to understand, such as God having to punish people who will not take the way that he's prescribed to come and make an atonement for their sins. People who presumptuously, as we'll see also soon, who just come and dishonor the parents, curse, blaspheme against God, God will say very forthrightly, and very swiftly take that person, take the witnesses, take the person outside of the camp and stone them, stone that person. We get acquainted as we read, just as the primitive Israelites, this primitive nation, they got closer to God and they started to understand what really is true, what really is justice, and who is the ultimate judge. They begin to see with all of the laws, they're learning how to be worthy of God's presence. He said that he would come down and dwell with them, but now they had to be worthy of that, in the sense that, not that they earn their way to God, but that they don't do anything to get themselves in trouble, or to become repulsive in God's sight, do something abominable, where God has to leave. So God has very clearly laid out expectations. There's no fuzziness, there's no vagueness, there's no question, there's no doubt. He's so wonderful, He communicates very clearly. And it's up to the person to have those four pillars we emphasized over and over again. Honesty. 
you have pop songs about honesty sometimes the secular culture it has to do with relationships between human beings and that too may be immoral relationships but they want a semblance of some kind of honesty there and people even evil people can see the merit of honesty when it has to do with them escaping some kind of extortion coming to them some kind of dishonest deed or act or motive coming to their backyard or their front door they see that there's something good about it that I don't want the opposite I want that although they may not do that good thing it's built into the fabric of a human being to have a basic sense of right and wrong with the conscience God has given us but beyond that we have the word of God explicitly telling these people and we're observing we're tagging along what is the law of the trespass offering the law of the burnt offering the sin offering the meat offering or the, the grain offering and what are the intentional sins and unintentional sins so much is just open to their understanding there's a whole world of justice God's world and they're coming to his kingdom and if God calls them a kingdom of priests even when they're coming out of Egypt right from the beginning at that stage what great plans he has and what great expectations how much he's willing to trust them but they have to be schooled and so do we to not read the word in its entirety and not to come to God humbly and say father please teach me is to live in willful ignorance and then make assumptions and the devil is only too clever and quick to come and give us his whole philosophy based on little tidbits of scripture that he can conveniently distort and what happens people go around preaching false grace and they live under that umbrella not knowing that they're dangling on top of hell but when we understand the holiness of God there's a fear that comes upon us rightly so that we need to take everything God's given us and hold it with great estimation of his character and our responsibility to keep ourselves pure so we have quite a number of things written about different people who are sinning priests rulers the common people the congregation God has something for everybody so no one can be in the dark or claim to be in the dark. Let's continue to read now this law of the trespass offering chapter 7 38 verses someone can read about 17 to 17 and someone else 18 to 38 and the purpose is here not to go in depth and go word for word and try to figure out every single thing but to get an overview because this is something that is quite detailed It's not a narrative here like we read in Exodus. Much of it is about loss. We need to get acquainted with that. So someone please read chapter 7 of Leviticus 1 through 17, someone else 18 through 38. Not exactly half, but we'll do that. Leviticus chapter 7 NKJV version verses 1 through 
Likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the trespass offering. And its blood he shall sprinkle all around on the altar. And he shall offer from it all its fat. The fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails, the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove, and the priest shall burn them on the altar as an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a trespass offering. Every male among the priests may eat it. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. The trespass offering is like the sin offering. There is one law for them both. The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. And the priest who offers anyone's burnt offering, that priest shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering which he has offered. Also every grain offering that is baked in the oven and all that is prepared in the covered pan or in a pan shall be the priest who offers it. Every grain offering, whether mixed with oil or dry, shall belong to all the sons of Aaron, to one as much as the other. This is the law of the sacrifice of peace offering, which he shall offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes of blended flour mixed with oil. Besides the cakes, as his offering, he shall offer leavened bread with the sacrifice of the thanksgiving of his peace offering. And from it, he shall offer one cake from each offering as a heave offering to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the peace offering. The flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow or a voluntary offering, it shall be eaten the same day that he offers his sacrifice. But on the next day, the remainder of it also may be eaten. The remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day must be burned with fire. Praise God. And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted, nor shall it be imputed to him. It shall be an abomination to him who offers it. And the person who eats of it shall bear guilt. The flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned with fire. And as for the clean flesh, all who are clean may eat of it. But the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord, while he is unclean, that person shall be cut off from his people. 
Moreover, the person who touches any unclean thing, such as human uncleanness and unclean animal or any abominable unclean thing, and who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord, that person shall be cut off from his people. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, You shall not eat any fat of ox or sheep or goat, and the fat of an animal that dies naturally, and the fat of what is torn by wild beasts, may be used in any other way, but you shall by no means eat it. For whoever eats the fat of the animal of which men offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, the person who eats it shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, you shall not eat any blood in any of your dwellings, whether of bird or beast. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, He who offers the sacrifice of his peace offering to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offering. His own hands shall bring the offerings made by fire to the Lord. The fat with the breast he shall bring, that the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. And the priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be Aaron's and his son's. Also the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a heave offering from the sacrifices of your peace offerings. He among the sons of Aaron who offers the blood of the peace offering and the fat shall have the right thigh for his part, but the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering I have taken from the children of Israel from the sacrifices of their peace offerings, and I have given them to Aaron, the priest, and to his sons from the children of Israel by statute forever. And this is a consecrated portion for Aaron and his sons from the offerings made by fire to the Lord on the day when Moses presented them to minister to the Lord as priests. The Lord commanded this to be given to them by the children of Israel on the day that, uh, he, that he anointed them by a statute forever throughout their generations. This is the law of burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the consecrations and the sacrifice of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day when he commanded the children of Israel to offer their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. Praise God. Praise the Lord. The fat portions were prohibited to the Israelites and there are people who can read all kinds of things into this based upon their doctrine private doctrine that they've made up people who are vegetarians or people who are health conscious they may read into this and say well God wants them to be healthy God always wants us to be healthy but that's not the reason why he said not to eat this the things that God says reserved for me and two of the things happen to be blood. Not that God wanted the blood, but blood contained life. You are not to eat that. And the fat was 
supposed to be that choice part, the, the best part. And so God reserved that for himself. We know God doesn't physically eat that, but they had to set certain things aside. They had to do certain things in their offerings with the kidneys and the fat around that area in the long lobe of the liver. These specific things written. Then we see that a portion of it would be offered as a memorial in some cases and the rest would belong to Aaron and his sons or the priest's family. And the male was given the right to eat the meat from the guilt offering. And then we see the offerings for the peace peace offerings and the vows and all such things here. Individuals and the community. But anyone who does something that's not particularly prescribed to them from God to do, they'd be cut off from the congregation or from the community. In other words, they would lose everything. Because they presumed upon doing something that God said not to do after he's instructed them. They can never claim ignorance. And all the while, God keeps bringing in the concept of holy and profane, clean and unclean. We'll see how the first high priest's sons did one simple act and they were destroyed. But that simple act was no simple act in the sense of a small deed. It was a blatant defiance against God bringing in something that is foreign to God's nature and presence. Because what God does when he gives the law is he reveals more of his character and his nature, his holiness. And they had to be careful how they approached him because he's holy. Now, imagine a Christian, your average Christian, reading these things with a sincere heart. It would certainly shock that system that is so ingrained into a society they would indulge in anything they feel like and still cry grace and I'm saved. There's a shock to that kind of culture which is satanic. When we read things like these in Leviticus provided that the person who comes to Leviticus is honest and humble and open to learn. They'll be impressed with the, the danger of sinning against God right away. And as we have read Hebrews not too long ago, we saw that if under Moses, the law of Moses, two or three witnesses could be called forth to find someone guilty of an offense, a trespass, transgression, they would die. How much more the one that has despised the grace of God? In essence, that's what it's saying. Trample underfoot the Son of God counted that blood by which he was sanctified an unholy thing or a profane thing. Cheap. So the perspective that the modern church needs to get, no matter who it is, whether 
leader or a layperson, male, female, young, old, anyone and everyone who claims to be born again. They need to realize God hasn't changed, if anything, under the new covenant with all the grace available. It's not a license to sin in any easier way. It's not a license to figure that we can get away with more because we're not under the law after all. The law of life in Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life. We need to know when it says the Spirit of life is the Holy Spirit and He's the one who knows the deep things of God and He blazes against the flesh. Carnality. It hasn't changed. It's brought, in, brought rather to a heightened level under the New Covenant. So the fear of God comes easy to a person. A fear of God which does what? Protects us. Keeps us from traps. From Satan. Keeps us from destruction. When we come to God with a sincere heart, an honest heart, an humble heart, say, Lord, I want to know you more. As we sing, I want to know you more. I want to know your nature so that I can stay with you. I can know how to live with you. It's not hard to live with God at all. But only for those who want to violate that trust. It becomes dangerous. When we read Leviticus as Christians, we're able to see clearly that God really cares about our words our actions, our motives, everything. He's well aware of everything. And He has promised to pay back everyone for what they do. Jesus said, the word that I speak, that will judge you. Many, many things show the nature of the same God who gave the law at Exodus, in Exodus on Mount Sinai, who gave the instructions here to the people encamped at the base of Sinai, Mount Sinai, we see very clearly it's the same Jesus in the New Testament. To miss that element, to miss that picture, is to cause people to become not only dull, but deceived. Because they won't have the fear of God. They'll think, oh, I'll just ask for forgiveness. How many people have done that, do you suppose? presumed upon God's grace and they died before they can ever repent. What would they be? According to Ezekiel, and we can see this in the epistle of John, we can see the gospel of John, we can see it in Jude, we can see it in the epistles of Peter, that if people presume upon God's grace and they continue to sin, thinking, well, I asked forgiveness last time and I got it and I'm fine now. I could probably do it however many times I want because... God's not going to let me die. Look at all the work I've done for him. As it says in Ezekiel, and it's reinforced the very same truths in the New Testament. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Ezekiel says, all the righteousness that a righteous person has done will not be remembered at all by God. If he presumes upon the grace of God and upon his own righteousness from the past, 
to be some kind of insurance policy for the future, no matter what he does, that person will be destroyed for their sins, for the wickedness that they've done. Meaning, that person has gotten to a point, either by a hardening of the heart or by God cutting them off because it's too much. No chance to repent. So with the provision to repent and to be forgiven with the mercy of God, we approach it with great thanksgiving, but with great caution that I can't think that I can just treat this cheaply because I may lose everything if I presume upon His grace. As we read through the laws, it's not simply the kidneys and the lobe, the fat and the blood, and the way that bird is supposed to be cleaved. And what's supposed to be the law of this offering, that offering? We'll miss the whole point for us if we don't understand God continually emphasizing be holy, be holy, be holy. Who? You and me today. That's the essence of Leviticus for all of us. These offerings don't apply to us. The sacrifices, the way it did to Israel. We can learn how holy God was, is, and forever will be. That never changes. And how His people must be holy, which is reflected in what? Following His every commandment. Let's go to chapter 8 where we now come to the instruction for the priests. As I said, we're going to go through this at a much faster pace than we would other books that have narratives so that we can get the overall picture and get the essence of it that applies to us as believers today in the context of what applied to them in Israel back then. Leviticus chapter 8, leaving all of the laws of the offerings now. Someone please read 1 through 18 and someone else 19 through 36. Let's follow along what the Lord says about the priests. Leviticus chapter 8, verse 1 to 16. Aaron and his sons consecrated. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, the anointing oil, a bull as a sin offering, two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread, and gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was gathered together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is what the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the tunic on him, girded him with the sash, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. And he girded him with the intricately woven band of the ephod, and with it tied the ephod on him. Then he put the breastplate on him, and he put the urim and the tumim 
in the breastplate, and he put the turban on his head. Also on the turban, on its front, he put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Also Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times, anointed the altar and all its utensils and the laver and its base to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Then Moses brought Aaron's sons and put tunics on them, girded them with sashes, and put hats on them, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he brought the bull for the sin offering. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull for the sin offering, and Moses killed it. Then he took the blood and put some, of, some on the horns of the altar all around with his finger and purified the altar. And he poured the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. Then he took all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and the two kidneys with their fat, and Moses burned them on the altar. But the bull, its hide, its flesh, and its offal he burned with fire outside the camp, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he brought the ram as a burnt offering. And Aaron and the sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Leviticus chapter 8 from verse 19. And Moses killed it. Then he sprinkled the blood all around on the altar. And he cut the ram into pieces. And Moses burned the head, the, the pieces and the fat. Then he washed the entrails and the legs in water. And Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt sacrifice for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he brought sec the second ram, the second ram of consecration. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. Also he took some of its blood and put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then he brought Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood on the tip of their right ears, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood all around on the altar. Then he took the fat and the fat tail, all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and their fat, and the right thigh. And from the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake, a cake of bread anointed with oil, and one water, and put them on the fat and on the right thigh. And he put all these in Aaron's hands and in his son's hands and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar, on the burnt offering. They were consecration offering for a sweet aroma, 
that was an offering made by fire to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it as a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' part of the ram of consecration, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron, on his garments, on his sons, and on the garments of his sons with him. And he consecrated Aaron, his garments, his sons, and the garments of his sons with him. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting, and eat it there with the bread that is in the basket of consecration offerings, as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his son shall eat it. What remains of the flesh and, the, and of the bread you shall burn with fire, and you shall not go outside the door of the tabernacle of meeting for seven days, until the day of your consecration are ended. For seven days he shall consecrate you, as he has done this day, so the Lord has commanded to do, to make atonement for you. Therefore you shall stay at the door of the tabernacle of meeting day and night for seven days, and keep the charge of the Lord, so that you may not die, for so I have been commanded. So Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. Praise God. Praise God. Notice what it says here. Continuing with the offering, the burnt offering here, that is the offerings that are burnt, the sacrifices, I should say, with the connection to the priests and the insulation, the ordination, and the use of the blood and the anointing oil. We spoke about it before. And then the things that should be burned and not left until the next day. The reason is it has become holy, sacred. It's been presented to God, before God. And certain people could eat certain portions, these priests and Moses. Certain things should not be left at all. Down to the next day. Because it's become holy. So God had all these things that if we were among the congregation, we'd be just learning these things about how God operates. But notice with the great high calling that Aaron the priest, high priest had, and this big ceremony and ordination and wonderful things that God did to cleanse him, Aaron, so that he can minister first of all. And then the regulation that they couldn't leave the tabernacle for seven days, but day and night stay there. Notice this caution here, the end of verse 35. If you fail to do this, you will die. Moses is telling his older brother from God with all the glory that's afforded him as the first high priest, having the ephod, the robe, the vestments, everything, being specially consecrated, very unique, one of a kind. He says, if you fail to stay at the entrance of the tabernacle day and night for seven days, you will die. Everything will be over. We're going to see, because of the context of what's being emphasized this morning, we're going to go through to chapter 10 to get a full picture 
of what happens when people presume upon God's kindness and they toy with his commandments. It's the picture forever placed in scripture for everyone to know how carefully we should walk before the Lord, how holily. And the New Testament emphasizes that same thing. Let's go quickly to chapter 9, which is not as long as the previous chapter, and then to chapter 10, which is also shorter than chapter 9. Someone please read chapter 9. Let's hear. And then we'll go to chapter 10. Praise the Lord. Um, Leviticus chapter 9. And it came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his son and the elders of Israel. And he said unto Aaron, Take thee a young calf for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering, without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And unto the children of Israel thou shalt speak, saying, Take ye a kid of of the goat for a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year without blemish, for a burnt offering, also a bullock and a ram for peace offering, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a meat offering, mingling, mingled with oil, for for today the Lord will appear upon you. And they brought that which Moses commanded before the tabernacle of the congregation, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said to and Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commanded that ye should do, and the glory of the Lord shall appear upon you. And Moses said unto Aaron, Go unto the altar and offer thy sin offering and thy burnt offering, and make an anointment and atonement for thyself and for the people, and offer the offering of the people, and make an atonement for them, as the Lord commanded. Aaron therefore went into the altar and slew slew the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. And the son of Aaron brought the blood unto him, and he dripped, and he dipped his finger into the blood, and put it upon the horns of the altar, and poured out the blood at the bottom of the altar. But the fat and the and the but the fat in the kidneys and the and the coal above the liver of the sin offering he burnt upon the altar as the Lord commanded Moses and the flesh and the hide he burnt with fire without a camp and he slew the burnt offering and Aaron's sons presented upon him the blood which he sprinkled around about upon the altar. Praise God. All that the Lord has... Oh, sorry, Pastor. Did you say up until 11 or...
Praise the Lord. Can you hear me? I think it's Nisi that was reading, right? Yes. Yes, um, all of chapter 9. Okay, okay, sorry. And they presented the burnt offering unto him with the piece, therefore, in the head. And he burnt them up, and he burnt them upon the altar. And he did wash the inward and the legs and burnt them upon the burnt offering on the altar. And he brought the people offering and took the goat, which was the sin offering for the people, and slew it and offered it for sin as the first, as the first. And he brought the burnt offering and offered it according to the manner. And he brought the meat offering and took it and took an handful thereof and brought it upon the altar beside the burnt sacrifice of the morning. He slew also the bullock and the ram for a sacrifice of peace offering, which was for the people and Aaron's sons presented upon him the blood, which he sprinkled upon the altar around about. And the fat and the bullock and the ram, the the rump, and which covers the inward, and the kit, which covers the inward, and the kidneys, and the calls above the liver. And they put the fat upon the breast, and he burnt the fat upon the altar, and the breast, and the breast, and the right shoulder. Aaron waved for a wave offering before the Lord, as Moses commanded. And Aaron lifted up his hand towards the people and blessed them and came down from offering of the sins offering and burnt offering and peace offering. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and, the, and, came out and blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared upon the people. And there... And there came a fire out. I'm sorry, Pastor, is getting blurry. <laughs> and there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their face. Praise God. See, God promising that he will appear. He told Moses, if Aaron follows what he's supposed to do, then his sons follow what they're supposed to do. God said that his glory will appear. There's so many things involved here. We see the repetition, first of all, of these offerings and the kind of things they were to do. And then we see the particular things for the high priest and for the sons of the high priest, with the blood, the dipping of the finger, um, putting it on the horns of the altar, pouring the rest of the blood to the base of the altar, but then also taking the meat and the hide and taking it outside the camp. We see common elements that we saw before. 
the way the blood was supposed to be poured and how the horns were to be touched, but also the going outside of the camp. And we'll also see something regarding this later, where the priests were supposed to put on the linen garment to collect the ashes and then change their clothing when they went outside of the camp to dispose of it. Very specific things that God was saying and more common elements such as splattering the blood on all sides against the altar. So we get the idea of how they had to carry out everything that God told them to exactly as he said. And when they did everything that God said the way he prescribed it, this awesome fire from heaven came. And it struck the people to the core of their being. And they fell down, face down, but also they shouted with joy. God is showing it's possible to live in his presence and experience his glory, see? And have joy, not just terror. It's a supreme experience. And the people got to see that we get to be a part of this fellowship with the God who created everything. And it was called as his special people. All these good things happening, very clear instructions from God, seeing the awesome majesty of God and that he is not playing any games. He's very serious about everything. Because what he says reflects his character. Everything he does. And these two sons in chapter 10, we'll close with chapter 10 today. They had no fear of God whatsoever. After all of this, someone please read chapter 10 of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter, chapter 10. Then they have and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. They died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. Before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. Then Moses called Mishael and Elzadon, the sons of Uzziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, do not uncover the heads nor tear, tear your clothes, lest you die and wrath come upon all the people. Let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. You should not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. They did according to the word of Moses. 
Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink. You nor your sons with you. When you go into the tabernacle meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever, about your generations. That you may distinguish between holy and unholy, between clean and unclean, and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. As Moses spoke to Aaron, to Eleazar, and Ithamar, and his sons, his sons who were left, take the grain offering that remains of the offerings made by fire to the Lord, and eat it without, a, without leaven beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place, because it is your due and your son's due of the sacrifices made by fire to the Lord. For so I have been, for so I have been commanded. The breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering you shall eat in a clean place, you, your sons, and your daughters with you. For they are your due and your sons' due, which are given from the sacrifices of peace offerings of the children of Israel. The thigh of the heave offering and the breast of the wave offering they shall bring with the offerings of fat made by fire to offer as a wave offering before the Lord. Now it shall be yours and your sons with you by a statute forever, as the Lord had commanded. Then Moses made careful inquiry about the goat of the sin offering, and there it was burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the sons of Aaron, who were left, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in a holy place, since it is most holy? And God has given it to you to bear the guilt of the congregation, to make atonement for them before the Lord. See, his blood was not brought inside the holy place. Indeed, you should have eaten it in the holy place, as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Look, this day they have offered the sin offering and the burnt offering before the Lord, and such things have befallen me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would it have been accepted in the sight of the Lord? So when Moses heard that, he was content. Amen. Uh, one of the shorter chapters in Leviticus, we see the dramatic, dramatic disposal of these hand-picked men, these chosen men of Aaron's sons, who, though priests, specially selected, appointed by God, apparently brought some kind of fire that did not have what God said should be the source. That altar was supposed to be burning continually. And they presumed to bring something else. On the one hand, it's talking of the intercession that they represented for the people as priests, but also personally for them, it had to do with their approach to God, their worship. God said specifically, you do it a certain way. Notice he says, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire, different than he had commanded. really shows, as we heard even yesterday, in recent meetings, that God wants us to have a sacrifice and worship that is pleasing to him. And that if it's not pleasing to him, it's dangerous. 
we see the awesome holiness of God, the love of God, the desire of God to fellowship with us, but also the danger, and he says so very explicitly. He says, through Moses, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory before all the people. Let me read again in the New Living Translation. Aaron's sons Nadab and Abihu put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. There we can present the incense with the fire we choose. In this way they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire different than he had commanded. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence. They brought one kind of fire, but God showed another kind of fire, his holy fire that burned them up. Literally burned them up and they died there before the Lord. They didn't disappear in that kind of sense, but they were burned. They died. They were cut off. They lost everything through that one act which was not an isolated case or instance of disobedience. They had bad things in their hearts. You couldn't just go and do this. You had to have been someone who was very arrogant, someone who took things, the things of God lightly and cheaply. Someone who smiled on the outside and said, I love God and I revere Him, I want His holiness and He's awesome, but then inwardly despise God and despise what He says to do. There's no question this was not an overnight sensation that got them burned up. Their sensibility. They wanted to be a sensation. They wanted to do their own thing. But they got scorched. They were destroyed. God has recorded this here. What does this have to do with us who are under grace? Just this, as it's written in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Our God is a consuming fire. Could there be any doubt that Hebrew people to whom the apostle wrote the epistle would not conjure up that image that they would have known very well from Leviticus. How these two men got burnt up. Fire from God's presence came and destroyed them. Now as far as evangelism, let's go a little further and we'll talk about evangelism. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I'll display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory before all the people. And Aaron was silent. He knew. My boys did wrong. They did wrong to such a degree that God had to destroy them on the spot. They came so close to God and they came with this foolishness and arrogance that God who revealed himself to my brother Moses as a loving God full of mercy, ready to pardon Forgiving the iniquity of those who fear him, who love him. Showing his love to a thousand generations. This is how he revealed himself in Exodus. For him to do this to my sons, they had to have done the worst thing they could have done. They got punished for it. 
Now, he was in awe right there, Aaron, not only because this tragedy happened so suddenly, but because he was afraid of God, that God was angered to the point that this happened. There are occasions in which, in which God said, be careful, be careful, be careful, lest the Lord break out against you. He told them at the mountain of Sinai. He said, tell the people, do not come near to touch the mountain. Moses said, I already told them. In essence, that's what he said. They already know. He said, no, go tell them again. Why? Because he knew what's in their hearts. And he had to break out against these people. These two priests. Then Moses called for Mishael and Elzaphan, Aaron's cousins, the sons of Aaron's uncle, Uziel. He said to them, come forward and carry, carry away the bodies of your relatives from in front of the sanctuary to a place outside the camp. The priest couldn't do it. Called his relatives. So they came forward and picked them up by their garments and carried them out of the camp just as Moses had commanded them. It's reminiscent of Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. Lest anyone should say, wow, this is just too much. It's heavy. It's this is the Old Testament. Thank God we're under grace. Under grace, a husband and wife were killed on the spot for lying to the Holy Spirit. Now I said that much of it is not narrative. I should probably reword that. We do have connection of events here, stories. But we have a lot of laws and regulations. It's not a continuous narrative in that sense where we would read about the children of Israel's uh, wilderness journeyings and their conversations to God in a back and forth like that. But we do have these instances here. What does it do to me? What does it do to you? What should it do to us? To know that if there are parallels found in the New Testament with sudden destruction under the covenant of grace after Jesus died on the cross and after the people in those churches were filled with the Holy Spirit. Not to say that they were necessarily the husband and wife that died, Ananias and Sapphira. But they were in the midst of a people who were getting baptized in the Spirit too. God didn't change. He takes drastic measures when warranted. Aaron held his peace. And he was warned, notice, in verse 6, then Moses said to Aaron, now, this is the uncle of the two boys that died, two men that died, the priests. He's telling his brother, the father, and his other nephews, Eleazar and Ithamar, Moses is, do not show grief by leaving your hair uncombed, in other words, expressing grief, or by tearing your clothes. If you do, notice, he doesn't say, you won't be able to serve for seven days over here because God doesn't like that. They deserved it, you know it, so just get on with life. And if you can't handle it, come back to the priesthood after seven days. I'll see what to do about it. He says, if you cry right now, you will die. How telling of the holiness and awesomeness of God who is known by His judgments, the Bible says.
Now, if God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, do you suppose that he will cry or mourn over here when these two people who defied him to his face were destroyed? No, not at all. And because the high priest and the priests stood for God in the office of intercessors, they were to represent God's, represent God's feeling about the situation. Not to confuse matters. So every person who is born again, and particularly those who are called to lead, those who are called to um, minister to the church in any capacity, they are given an honorable status in which God can trust them that they will relay to the people God's heart. For someone to become wishy-washy and sympathetic when God says don't do it, because it's going to confound the entire conveyance of my nature, my character, my laws, everything I'm doing. It's going to just come and cause chaos. People are called to be very careful to know God's heart and to represent Him exactly as He is. Otherwise, as we see in this case, not only is the person or person not fit to serve, they may be eliminated altogether. He says, if you do, you will die, and the Lord's anger will strike the whole community of Israel. Lest anyone should have even a remote thought that this is horrific, this is cruel, I don't understand it. Well, the third statement may be true, but the first two, if it has anything to do with God's character, to malign his character or to belittle it or to say that he shouldn't have done this better stick with the third proposition you just don't understand we need to know more of God we need to know he's perfect he's holy then we'll understand why God does what he does it says however the rest of the Israelites your relatives may mourn because of the Lord's fiery destruction of Nadab and Abihu God has the biggest heart, the greatest heart. The same God who we hear about right here in his actions with Nadab and Abihu went to a funeral procession and touched the briar and raised the dead man up and gave him back to his mother. He cared. There's no one that can love like God. No one. Absolutely no one. And so when he acts in such a fashion, we need to know, have my relatives, have my sons, have my daughters, have my kinsfolk pushed God to the limit that he has to break out and some tragedy has happened? How sobering to think of that. And how urgent it is for us to convey to people, do not play with God's mercy. It's not just Jesus loves you, but if you don't take his love, you'll be destroyed not that God wants to throw into hell. You yourself have chosen to go where the devil and his angels were supposed to be headed toward. Be careful. We have the duty to tell our people, particularly our children, our relatives, whoever it is, when we evangelize. Behold the goodness of God and the severity of God, as 
the apostle writes by the Spirit in Romans. Because if I just keep saying love, 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 and he can make your life better, here are the perks of Christianity, well, sometimes, as we've said before, that's just the message they need to hear for their particular situation. However, we cannot make that the rule. Neither can we make it the rule that we tell them fire and brimstone all the time. Certain people, certain time, need to hear certain things. However, generally speaking, both parts need to be presented eventually. It's when we think we're wiser than God and think, you know what, I think this is what they really need, rather than as we've been learning in life training school. Coming to God for the anointing to discern to know exactly what to say to whom and how. But we must know for sure repentance is part of the package whereby someone will really get saved. And preaching repentance necessitates the consequences of not repenting be made very clear to the person. The Apostle says in the New Testament, Jude, save some showing love, showing mercy in others. Fear, even hating the garment. Notice they picked them up by the garments. Even the garments. Were those garments holy? Yes, but no longer. They disposed. That's how we must be. We, we must Understand, Lord, I don't really know what holiness is. Or Lord, I'm just beginning to learn. Show me, Lord, more of yourself so that I can represent you accurately to the people. So the Spirit of God will have no kind of hindrance from me as his messenger when he's trying to do a work in somebody's life that I don't come and stop that because of me thinking that I was too hard on somebody or too soft on somebody. And then making an evaluation based upon my human senses and sympathy. Or lack of it. And blowing the whole thing. And then blaming God. Well, I guess they weren't meant to be saved. Maybe we were the people who messed that up. Maybe we didn't train our children properly. Maybe we took them to church and gave them the Christian stuff, but we didn't present God as He should have been from the beginning. By our life and our teaching. We need to repent of that. Say, Lord, no more. I want people to know your love and the fear of God so they can know exactly what that straight narrow gate looks like and how they need to squeeze into it while there's time and also enjoy God's presence being holy that's the only way to enjoy life no one who is unholy can ever claim to truly enjoy life with any kind of truth because only as Psalm 16 says in His presence there's fullness of joy and at His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. It's God's presence that gives us real joy. And then the instructions for the way they were to abstain from wine before they go into the tabernacle. As we heard on Sunday, the priests were to lay aside their priestly garments when they weren't ministering when they went to the common folk, back into the common activities, but not for the believer. We have been given garments that are never to be laid aside, not even for one second. 
That means we're holy through and through by the blood of Jesus and ought to walk holily. Similarly, as the progressive revelation comes from God about such things as wine, not only in the book of Proverbs, but in the New Testament, and we understand what intoxication will do, fermented wine will do, wine will do. But the fruit of the vine, there is another type which is not intoxicating, not fermented, is very sweet and something that cheers man's heart, where he has his faculties fully intact, sober. But thanking God for the fruit of the vine, grape juice. These people were not to go inside with any risk of doing something foolish. How much more for the believer? Is there any question that every single believer in the context of Scripture should abstain from any type of fermented wine? We spoke about it before. We won't go over it again. But they have neurotoxic propensities. Wine does. That's fermented. Damage happens. And it accumulates. We are called to be not filled or full of wine. Be not drunk with wine, Ephesians 5.18. But be filled with the Spirit of God. He makes a contrast there. He says you have to choose one or the other. Hallelujah. You must distinguish between what is sacred and what is common, between what is ceremonially unclean and what is unclean. Before that he says, any alcoholic drink before going to the tabernacle is forbidden. If you do, you will die. Not from alcohol, but from God striking them down. This is a permanent law for you and it must be observed from generation to generation. And then he goes on to continue with the, again, the a repetition. God is drilling this into everyone. No yeast. No yeast. No yeast. It's fermentation. No malice. No evil. As the New Testament spells it out spiritually. Anything we offer to God beginning with ourselves is holy to the Lord. We need to have that sacred regard. And then we see the different pieces along with the fat as special gifts to the Lord and then the provision of God for the priests and Moses the priests lived off of the sacrifices certain of them certain sacrifices Moses had his portion to it so God has established this way back then those who serve him, God will provide through the service. And then Moses has a question. He's outraged. Why didn't you eat the sin offering in the sacred area? He demanded. It is a holy offering. The Lord has given it to you to remove the guilt of the community and to purify the people, making them right with the Lord. Leviticus 10.17 Since the animal's blood was not brought into the holy place, you should have eaten the meat in the sacred area as I ordered you. If you didn't do a certain thing, you'd have to do this other thing. Regulations. Moses was very keen on everything. He was told, not only with the pattern of the tabernacle, but with everything God said. 
And you see lately that we're reading of him telling the people, announcing to the priests, announcing to the congregation, this is what the Lord said to do. And that's why we're doing this. This is what he meant when he said this. And that's why this happened. Exactly, word for word, what God said. How different our lives would be. And I trust it's happening now by the grace of God. That we have come to a place that every single word that God speaks is my command. His commandments are life. Even when I don't understand, I will obey because I trust God. That what He's telling me to do is the right thing, always. And it will always be a blessing. And Aaron made this defense. The reason I didn't do this is because my sons just died. They presented the sin offering and their burnt offering and such things have happened today. I don't think God's happy with me right now. Moses, again representing God here, was satisfied and God didn't say anything further on this. God is very understanding. The disciples, we'll close with this, they picked the heads of the crops there, the grains. They're accused. They're breaking the Sabbath. The Lord of life, the Lord of love, the Lord of mercy, just like David also ate what was only lawful for the priests. You see situations in which God steps in and as the Lord Jesus said man was not made for the Sabbath but Sabbath for the man and I am the Lord of the Sabbath right here. He's drawing everything including the law and all the regulations, ordinances to keep saying his ways are not our ways. There are certain times when he allows certain things that are perfectly right. But we can't get a handle on it. Because we have pre-programmed ourselves to think that now I understand it all. And everything is in a neat box. And God can't break out of this box. We have to yield ourselves to the divine prerogative that God knows what He's doing. He told Job's friends, somebody reading Job can say, Everything sounds very just. I mean, they just laid out that people who are wicked get punished and that's probably what Job was. And God was angry with them at the end and he said, you haven't spoken right about me. Even though a lot of things were right as far as justice and their observation, we need to spend time with God. Not just so we can preach and open blind eyes and proclaim liberty to the captives. So that we ourselves can be right before God. Our attitude, our motives, everything. Just a total washing out of everything that we ever thought about God and Christianity and how to obey God. And say, Lord, here am I. I need an overhaul. You fill me, Lord, with the truth. Fill me with your spirit. I want to be walking closely with you. Such a fellowship that I can literally hear your heartbeat, Lord, spiritually walking exactly in a manner pleasing to God. Then my sacrifices will be pleasing to God.
and my ministry will be pleasing to God. Shall we pray? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your mercies. Thank you, Lord. Father, I want to please you. Lord, I have no other place to go. As the apostle said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I don't want to go anywhere else, Lord. Lord, we are your people. Draw us closer, as we read Leviticus, to your heart and holiness. Thank you, Lord. Direct our steps to stay. Jesus, I pray, heal, my God. Heal, I pray, Lord. Give deliverance, Lord. Give, Lord, clarity, Lord. Discernment, Lord. Give proper judgment to your people today, Lord. Not to veer off, not to be lopsided, but to be exactly the way you want us to be in our communications, our interactions, in our presentation of your gospel by our lives and by our preaching. Lord, I pray that we would be motivated to evangelize the way you want us to, to encourage people, urge them lovingly, but also to warn them. To know how to do it just right and when to do it. Beginning with our families, Lord. That they would know God is a holy God. It's a matter of time. If we gamble with our souls before Him, ignoring Him, defying Him, that we can be burned up like Nadab and Abihu. But on the other hand, if we're faithful and keen on listening to God, fellowshipping with Him, we can be like Moses. Enjoy His glory, His protection, His blessing. Live a full life to bring glory and honor to God. Oh Lord, as we are burdened for souls and we continue to reach people, beginning with our own people, work, O oh Lord, that the fear of God may come upon the place. The holiness of God, the presence of God will come down. Something will happen in the people because you are endorsing what we're saying because you're with us, because we've been with you. Hallelujah. Praise you and thank you, Lord. Holy goodness. Thank you for transforming us, making us fruitful, Lord. We want to be 100% fruitful, my God. Oh, God, I turn my back on everything that has to do with this world in its way. Everything to do with pride and folly and pretense and image-seeking. I thank you, Lord, for showing me the futility of that, the destructive capabilities of such a lifestyle. The temporary deception that comes with a feeling of pride and self-satisfaction, achievement and image. Thank you, Lord, that we can come to your presence and the holy fire will cleanse us, purify our hearts, make us acceptable unto you so we can represent you in a pure way, Lord. And people will come to know you directly by seeing Jesus in us. May this be our hearts cry continually, Lord. Make me holy. Make me holy. Make me holy. Make me loving. Make me loving. Make me loving. Make me to hate the abominations you hate, such as pride, arrogancy, the evil way, every false way. I have no part with it. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us from Leviticus. In Jesus' name we praise you. Amen.